0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a Lunch and Learn on Facebook Live. The topic was The Blame Game. Do we take responsibility for our actions? We open with a fascinating story about a famous classical musician that you're not going to want to miss. So, without further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds.
1: Alright, so, <clears throat> not long ago... One of the great violinists of all time, the great Isaac Stern, was playing a Mozart violin concerto with the New York Philharmonic. The huge audience, it's a true story. And midway through the first movement, the great Isaac Stern has a lapse of memory. He literally forgets the music. He immediately stops playing. He goes over to the conductor and asks the conductor, If he and the entire orchestra can start the song over again, he turns to the audience, he apologizes for his mistake, and he begins the music. He starts the song all over again. And there was a critic that was reviewing the incident, and he said of the great Isaac Stern, and I quote, a man of his ability could have fooled his audience, covered up his mistakes, and yet his faithfulness to Mozart and to his music demanded of him a clear accounting of his error and a desire to start all over again. I start with this story because I want to ask you a very honest question, and that is how often do you take responsibility for your own mistakes? And I'm not just asking you. Anything I ever teach is something that I struggle with and that I think about, which is why I choose to talk about it. How often do I take responsibility for my own mistakes? And in our society, how often do we do this? When was the last time we looked at ourselves when something went wrong? And we didn't point the finger over there, but we pointed the finger here. That was the flyer that Benjamin so quickly developed for us when I told him I was teaching on this topic. The Torah itself begins with Adam blaming Chava, with Chava blaming the snake for convincing them to eat from the tree of knowledge. Cain, after killing his brother Hevel, famously asks, Hashomer When God says to him, Where is your brother? He answers, Am I my brother's keeper? There is this kind of story after story in the Bible, in the Torah, of you know, shifting the blame. Even Noach, uh, who takes responsibility for himself. Noah was a righteous person, but he's seen by our sages as failing to take responsibility for other people. It's not until we meet Abraham, the first Jew, that we meet someone who takes total responsibility, both for his own actions and for other people. Abraham, says Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, introduces a tradition which emphasizes personal responsibility, not pointing the finger elsewhere. And this is a very, very important issue because I I see that our world, our society is really grappling with a lot of questions and a lot of issues. And the question is how often do we take responsibility for what's going on? And there are times when we have to look at society. And uh, for example, the issue of racism is a, a serious issue that we have to look at our society. But individuals who are also uh, claiming to, to uh, be subject to any form of bigotry and anti-Semitism or racism also have to ask themselves, what are we doing? Not to contribute to the racism, God forbid. That would be blaming the victim. But whatever, whatever ills a particular ethnicity or racial group or minority group, if it's Jews, it's blacks, doesn't matter. We have to look at what's going on in our own world before we can just say that all the problems that we are experiencing in our world are being caused by other people and other circumstances. And it could be true. And this is the problem we're having when I interviewed my friend, Rabbi Ephraim from Goldberg. He says what's missing from the conversation today is nuance. Nuance. We... the answer to certain problems are not simple. They could be multifaceted. There could be lots of problems, let's say in the Jewish community, and some of them are caused by our own doing. And some of them are caused by other people, anti-Semitism. It could be problems, the African American, the black community, some caused by racism. And there's clearly racism in the world. But if we were to clean up all the racism, would it clean up all the problems that the black community is afflicted by? Or would they still be suffering from certain internal issues, internal family and other kinds of issues that get swept under the rug when we just shift and focus on the outside and we externalize the blame? In the past, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote, people blamed their mistakes and their flaws on the stars, on the gods. Today, he says, we blame our parents. (laughs) That's the classic psychotherapeutic approach, right? And there could very well be, (laughs) could very well be that our parents are at fault for some of the problems that we have. But that's only one part of the picture. How much are we contributing? How much are we allowing some of the mistakes maybe our parents made to affect us in a way that they shouldn't be affecting us? We blame our parents, we blame the environment, we blame our genes. We blame the politicians, we blame the media, we blame everyone, and we point the finger out there. But how often do we look inside? Rabbi Sachs continues to say that there were three influential thinkers in the 20th century, Spinoza, Marx, and Freud. Benedict Spinoza, Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, all of whom, although they had very different philosophies, all of whom, had one thing in common, they attributed human behavior to external forces. Let's go through each one briefly. Karl Marx wrote, right, the father of communism, that mankind is a product of social forces, and that people are shaped by the ruling class who own all the property. He says you could, and he wrote that you could explain so much of the society's ills by looking at the social ruling force, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. if you ever remember studying that in political science. Spinoza spoke about genetic determinism. Thank you, Howard. It's great to have you with us, Howard. Uh, Thank you for your positive encouragement of our topic. Spinoza spoke about genetic determinism. He believed that we are ruled over by our own instincts, by our biological drives. And Freud said something interesting similar But in more, not as much biology, but um, mentally, he wrote that we are the products of the traumas of our childhood, the influence of our parents, especially our fathers. You remember the Oedipus complex and all these other theories that Freud advanced. And it's interesting because all these great thinkers really enabled the world, Western civilization, to... Come up with some very sophisticated reasons why stuff's happening to us, whether it was uh, economic forces like, like Marx wrote, whether it was genetic forces like Spinoza, or whether it is sort of emotional forces like Freud wrote. And it is to each of these influences, suggests Rabbi Sachs, that the opening verse in Parshat Lech Lecha, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, when God tells Abraham to leave his birthplace and to go to Israel, and God tells Avram lech and He says me go from your land, me from your birthplace, umi beit from the house of your father, and Rabbi Sachs very brilliantly puts all of this together. He says that to the belief that we are products of our social forces, of ruling class, the landowners, the people with all the money and the real estate. God tells Abraham, lech lecha, go, Arzacha from your land. Go from your land. Stop blaming everything that's going on in your life to the fact that you don't have property, you don't have land, you don't have enough money, you didn't come from a rich enough family. There's no question that sets you back, that creates certain challenges. But really, we're going to blame so much of that on our socioeconomic background to the belief that our choices are determined by genetics. God tells Abraham the next line. God says, go from your land and from your birthplace. What does it mean to leave your birthplace? Leave the way you were born, the way you came into this world physiologically. right? This is, you know, God, all, I, I can only lift this amount of weight. I can only, right? Th- that's the cause. That's the reason for some of my issues and problems. And then finally, he says to him, and leave me beta from the house of your father. And that is confronting, I guess, the Freudian idea. That we are the products of our childhood. Specifically our fathers, Freud wrote. Leave your father's home. That doesn't mean you have to leave your parents, but stop blaming your parents for all of the problems and the issues. And again, there's a little nuance here. Um, oh, wait, wait, when you point the... The finger at others, look at your hand, the index finger points at others, I've seen this, but your other fingers, uh, three, four, and five, are pointing back at ourselves when you do this. Oh, that's interesting, (laughs) I like that. When you point to someone else, just automatically, these three fingers here, you know, continue to point to ourselves. And that's a good thing. You see, the more we externalize the blame, and we shift it to some other force, like Adam did with with Eve, or like Eve did with the serpent, or or like Noah did, he took care, maybe uh, responsibility for himself, but not for other people, that's another level. The more we do that, the less we can grow. Because then you're waiting for someone else to change. You're waiting for some kind of circumstance in our society to be altered. When part of, I don't wanna say, well I'll say the blame, part of the fault lies with us our family background our genetics and our socioeconomic factors they play a huge role and they certainly influence they certainly influence the way we think and behave but they are not the sole determinants blaming our parents blaming our teachers the family into which we were born it just prevents us ultimately from confronting our fundamental issues in life and so abraham told so god told abraham lech lecha go already leave those factors behind and lech lecha so powerful go inside lecha means to you how do you go into you you usually go away from these things so god told avram go from this go from that and at the end he says go into you look into yourself and the next pasuk says in the next verse Ve bracha. and then you'll be a blessing only when you look within it was an amazing study done, I quoted this in my book. If you haven't gotten my book Beyond the Instant, go on Amazon and order it. I would tell you to uh, uh, you know, give me your address, I'll send it to you, it's just um, a hassle these days. It's just easier on Amazon, uh, it's, it's not expensive. And the University of Pennsylvania compared the top 1% of all American neurosurgeons with the bottom 1%. It was a really fascinating uh, analysis and comparison. You know, the bottom 1% of neurosurgeons in this country are the worst doctors. They're the the ones being sued for malpractice. The top 1% are the leading researchers and the most sought out physicians, probably in the world. And the study concluded that what distinguished the top 1% from the bottom 1% was not the medical school they went to, was not their level of intelligence, but how the doctors handled mistakes in the operating room. Rebecca is posting something. I'll come back to your point in a minute. It looks really interesting. Give me a minute, Rebecca. How the doctors handled mistakes in the operating room. The top 1% of neurosurgeons, it wasn't simply that they went to better medical schools and they had a greater level of intelligence. They spent every waking hour trying to figure out where they went wrong. The bottom 1% attributed the patient's demise to external factors. The hospital didn't have the right equipment. The nurses weren't good. The lighting was bad. They externalized the blame. It was everyone else's fault. That's what separates successful people from less successful people. Successful people look inside. And they ask themselves, they don't beat themselves up unnecessarily. There might have been poor lighting. There might have been a nurse who didn't get a good night's sleep the night before and dropped the scalpel, I don't know. It could be true. But the first thing they ask themselves is, how I could have been doing better. Jason Horn says, why are they having stakes in the operating room? I don't know why. Why, why do you think they're having stakes in the operating room, Jason? Oh, because they, they dropped a the scalpel. Okay, you're just kidding. Um, so Rebecca, Uh, Rebecca Cody says, one example, look at the many, many Holocaust survivors. How do they move forward? Their problems are so heavy, so complicated. It's an amazing, amazing point. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that, um, Rebecca, because they are able to somehow, now Holocaust survivors have been a lot of studies done on this and the ones that I've met also who really made it in life afterwards. And I don't just mean financially who were able to have families and were able to just be at peace at some point, were the ones that, were, that have faith and optimism and they can, they can see the good in other people even though they've seen such evil, but also they believe in themselves and they don't look to other people to fix their problems. And that is the common denominator of what the, the issue I'm discussing now. We're constantly looking for other people to fix the problems that we have. Now, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this, when a a relationship goes bad, something is wrong in in the family dynamic. Could be with a spouse, it could be with your children, it could be with your brother or sister or colleague at work. When was the last time we asked ourselves, what could we be doing differently? And it's hard to do this because it requires a certain self-honesty and integrity, and really a sincerity to try to fix the problem. If you wanna fix any problem, you gotta start with yourself. When when you lose a deal at work, you're working on a deal, and or let's say you're an attorney, you, you lost a case. Okay, you know, the immediate reaction that we have psychologically is to blame it on the, the judge, or I had a bad client, I was set up for a fall, and some of that could be true some of the times. And, but we just have to recognize how deceptive we can be to ourselves. I think I mentioned this in class earlier in the week, a a quote from Sigmund Freud about how we are our best deceivers. And we deceive ourselves because we have defense mechanisms. We need to maintain a a basic sense of self. And if you can't maintain a basic sense of self to feel decent about yourself, you can't continue to survive. It's like oxygen. Self-esteem is is literally something we need to have in order to continue to exist existentially, in terms of who we are and psychologically. So just recognize the fact that when something goes wrong, our automatic reaction is going to be to save face, not just for other people, so that we can continue to feel good about ourselves. But when we don't accept responsibility, chances are that we're gonna make the same mistake again. Because if it really wasn't someone else's fault, or it was maybe 10%, usually issues are not so simple that it was, it, you know, you could, we always looking for that silver bullet. Right? What's the silver bullet? It's that one explanation that explains everything. right? scientists are doing that for the cosmologists, you know, to explain the Big Bang Theory, how the world came into existence. But you got to, you got to realize that life's complex and, Things happen for multiple reasons, and there's a dynamic between one person and the next, and the same I would argue applies on a communal level when it comes to what is arguably the greatest Jewish problem in America today. And I'm and I'm sharing this topic by the way because I'm going to get to this soon. That we are in the three weeks, the nine days into Shabbat Av, and we talk about how how problematic our history has been. And we're leading up to Tishabov, the saddest day of the year where we're gonna be sitting on the floor and lamenting the destructions of our temples. We don't say those terrible Romans, those terrible Babylonians. We do talk about how evil and cruel these superpowers were and how the Christian Crusades came in and wiped out thousands of Jews and the, and the pogroms and the Cossacks and the, the Holocaust and the Spanish Inquisition before and all of these. Right? But what do we say in our prayers? Every Shabbat we say, Because of our transgressions, because of our failure and our breakdown and our relationship with God, all of these other things happened. We don't externalize the blame and just say we are this perfect people that was worshiping God in the exact way we were supposed to, and then these big bad Babylonians and Romans just came in and wiped out. Now, I don't think that they... We, they can abdicate responsibility I think even if we did certain things wrong it didn't justify them persecuting us and destroying our temple no but when we spend time in these few weeks trying to uncover and trying to understand why we're here why are we still in exile and how do we get ourselves out of exile how do we rebuild the temple how do we get the Jewish people back to Israel all of us and 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 bring universal peace and love, and bring the Mashiach. We look inside and we say, why did this happen in the first place? Why did God allow the Babylonians, allow the Romans to destroy our temples, exile our people? Obviously there was a breakdown in our relationship with Hashem. We don't externalize the blame, we look inside. The Talmud says that the first temple was destroyed because of idol worship rampant idol worship in the community. The prophets, the great prophets of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they came and they saw what was happening and they told the Jewish people and they rebuked and they chastised and they said, guys, you gotta stop this immoral behavior. And we had this with the second temple that which was destroyed because of baseless hatred, right? We know that our relationship with Hashem is very much dependent on how we behave, on how we live. So we have to look inside. Again, it doesn't abdicate responsibility from anti-Semites. We don't blame the victim. But when bad things happen to the Jewish people, and we look at our Jewish history, which is filled with persecution anti-Semitism, we don't just look to how to solve the persecution. That's maybe the great work of the Anti-Defamation League, some of the other organizations. But we, as rabbis and teachers, we want to look deeper. We want to understand why these things are happening to us internally. What is going on? And we have to ask ourselves, in our country, the amount of assimilation, how many of our Jewish brothers and sisters we are losing to assimilation, to intermarriage. Are we taking responsibility? Or again, are we pointing the finger elsewhere? Are we blaming this denomination is at fault, that denomination is at fault, it's the Hebrew schools, they're not good. It's millennials today, right? Are we saying, well, I'm good, I'm connected, I'm only dating my fellow Jew. I send my kids to Jewish schools, to Jewish summer camps. How can I be responsible for what other people do? And yet our sages teach, Kol Yisrael arevim the entire Jewish people are responsible one for the next. We can't control other people's beliefs and other people's behavior in other people's attitudes, but we can reach out and we can share the beauty of Torah to try to demonstrate to our fellow Jews why Judaism is worth preserving and why we need to be careful with who we date because we wanna preserve Judaism for the next generation because we think it's so great and we want our kids to have it and we thank God MGE, thanks to the support of many people in our community and our board of directors and our supporters and our donors, we have been able to reconnect thousands of our Jewish brothers and sisters to impact generations to come, which is unbelievable. And uh, this is something we can only do though if we look inside and we don't say, well, There's this crazy ideology sweeping the United States. No, no, people don't believe in God anymore. People don't believe in objective morality. People are taught on college campus. Relative morality, morality is really just a matter of opinion today. What can we do? There's nothing we can do. We throw our arms up in the air. We're just so accepted and loved in this country. We're just going to be assimilating until there's nobody left. Well, we know that that's a defeatist kind of attitude but if we take the attitude that it's happening because of forces in the world and by the way it's true we are losing a lot of our jewish brothers and sisters because of these types of forces in the world but we also have to look inside and ask ourselves what responsibility do we bear have we done a good enough job engaging our fellow jewish brothers and sisters in judaism in interesting them in some shabbat and Jewish life it's been really hard during this period of corona to be able to do that I will tell you although we are able to do it right now online and I'm so blessed we are so blessed that we have technology and whatever we can't control we can't control that's one of the great things of believing in God you know it's actually a very comforting thing because when you believe in God you know that you can only do whatever you can do and the rest is in the Almighty's hands so as long as we wake up in the morning and we know we're doing the best that we can do at advancing ourselves spiritually, and we, do, we know we're doing the best we can do to advance other people spiritually, we can't control anything else. I struggle with this because I beat myself up, and sometimes it comes from a level of arrogance. I will admit it. It might be a level of arrogance that I can change everything, that with enough devotion, hard work, and talent, I can affect my world, my environment, but you want to know? We know that sometimes you can do everything in the world and it's just out of your hands because there's another force at work that force is God, of course. So we don't have to go to that extreme and say that we are responsible for everything. We're not. But what else could we do that we're not doing that could really help whatever situation in life? And as long as there's something else that we could still be doing that we're not, And we have to stop pointing the finger elsewhere. And it's also okay in a nuanced conversation about, let's say, um, racism in America. It's okay to say, you know what, there is racism and we need to get on board. But some of the problems are being caused by internal issues, perhaps within the black community. How can I help within that community? Just like what we're doing right now in the three weeks, the nine days in Tisha B'Av. We're doing the same exact thing right we've been through hell and back the jewish people we're not proud of it we're not glorifying our martyred we're not martyrs we're not glorifying all of the persecution to which we have been subject but we ask ourselves how we could do better not in terms of not being able to be subject to anti-semitism there are racists out there there are bigots and anti-semites we don't blame the victim but we don't believe that a lot of what happened to us in history simply happened because there are other bad people. We attribute the breakdown in our relationship with God to ultimately allowing the Romans, the Babylonians to come in and destroy that temple. Had our relationship with Hashem remained strong and intact, God would never have allowed any of that to happen. He allowed it to happen, and I talked about this last night, because the temple was more like the diamond ring, the symbol the beautiful and pure symbol of the love between God and Israel. It's like the ring between a husband and wife. And once the trust is broken, once someone has done something in relationship to really you know, allow that relationship to go south, what happens to that beautiful diamond ring? It no longer carries with it the special sentimental value that it once had. It's now just worth whatever the market says that stone is worth. That's what happened with the temple, we believe. We allowed our relationship to go bad with God. In the first temple era, through rampant idol worship, we allowed it to go bad in the second temple era through baseless hatred. And God just said, I've had enough. And he left the temple. And it just became a building of sticks and stones and anybody can come in and destroy it. Because what we're really mourning during this period of three weeks, nine days, Tisha B'Av, is not the temple per se's destruction, it's what they represented by the temple, a special relationship of intimacy that God had with the Jewish people. And when we violated that intimacy by worshiping other gods or by disrespecting our fellow human being, our fellow Jew, and God just said, this can't happen like this. Get back to me when you can do better. That's what we're trying to do during the three weeks, nine days in Tishabav. We're getting back to God. We're trying to get back to God. So God will come back to us by sending the Mashiach, by rebuilding the temple. That's what the temple means. It's about a relationship. And that's why we in the Jewish community always look within. When looking at our history, our troubled and checkered history, we look inside. And this is an incredibly important lesson that I want to leave you with. In our own personal lives, at work, I'm telling you, I've seen this. Uh, I have the zechot, to um, work with at least a dozen, 14, 15 people at any given time at MGE. The most important thing I look for is when people take responsibility. Mark, I tried, I didn't do it. I did this, I forgot to do that. That's it, you know, it's hard saying that. And, and, And I'll say the same thing, and I've said this a million times to my wife, and to my kids, and to the people with whom I work. It's my fault. I messed up. You know what the best thing about that? You can fix it. Because now you know where the problem is. You can look into yourself and you can do better. You can go into the gym and work yourself out and become a better version of yourself. So now the problem will not repeat itself, but I guarantee it will repeat itself as long as we externalize the blame. says God to Abraham, go Don't blame it on your parents, don't blame it on the society, don't blame it on the circumstances. Take responsibility. And you will grow from this mistake. You will be able to not only fix it, but you will become a greater person through this process of taking responsibility. You don't have to take responsibility for everything. We can't be responsible for everything. There's a God, there's other forces in the world. Just take responsibility for what you can do. If you and I can do that, and we as a nation, as a people, can do that during this period of time, during the three weeks, nine days in Tisha B'Av, then we have just given God a reason to send his Mashiach, to rebuild the temple, and to usher in a new era of peace, of love, and brotherhood, when all people of all different races and ethnicities and peoples of different religions will be able to sit together in love and in respect and be able to bask in the radiance of God's presence because we know we did the hard work. We know we built ourselves and developed ourselves in the right way, learned from our mistakes, moved on, and became the very best version of ourselves. And this world became the ultimate version of what it was supposed to be. May the temple be rebuilt speedily. Thank you all for listening. We'll continue tomorrow for our Lunch and Learn. I've got some great Torah prepared um, for uh, the Parsha, it's a double Parsha, Parshat Matot, Masay. Again, is opening up the Shabbat on the roof of the Jewish Center. Very, very excited about that. Uh, at 10.30, we need to sign up if you're interested. Um, and I'm gonna see if there are any other comments here. Uh, Alan Zeitlin. Hey, Alan, my friend. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you're doing okay, my friend. Why do you think we are seeing so much scapegoating of Jews by celebrities on social media? That's a really, really good question, Alan Zeitlin. You always ask the real questions. It's good to have you back here, man. Um, Well, scapegoating of Jews is as old as Jewish history is. I think that um, a convenient way of dealing with life's ills or a society's problems is to find a cause, externalize the cause. Hitler did that so brilliantly in the wake of the First World War when the Allies imposed a Treaty of Versailles, such a debilitating, for good reason, debilitating restrictions on Germany after the First World War. And the typical German felt so repressed, Hitler came along and worked off of that. And you need to find some sort of, right? If we can just find who is creating these problems, who's taking over the banks, who is, uh, you know, uh, Now, so that's been going on in almost every generation. That's happened in pre-war Germany for centuries in medieval times. Um, Why is it happening by celebrities on social media? Which is interesting. Now, there happens to be, and and I think there's a truth to this, I sat on a panel with a um, psychologist who has done, I'm just blanking on her name, I was on uh, channel 13 on Metro Focus Very impressive woman. Uh, She's done a lot of research. And a lot of the anti-Semitism that is coming out, some from the black community and some elsewhere, has to do with the haves and the have-nots. And there is this uh, implication that if a certain group has something, it must mean that they're doing something unethical. It must mean that what they're doing is now adversely affecting me. Right? There's this pie... And if the Jews are taking too much of the pie, there's less for me. And that's not really the way our economy works, but there is this perception. My friend uh, um, Horowitz, I just blanked on his name. i can't. Ami Hamur, Horowitz, amazing guy, the Upper West Side, my friend, I'm sorry. He made a very, very uh, important, little disturbing, but important video in the wake of all the anti-Semitism that was coming, that came out a couple of months before uh, Corona did. Uh, asking literally random people on the street what they think of the anti-Semitic attacks that had just been perpetrated, and a number of people, a good number of people, were saying that you know the Jews are so successful they're they're sending the money home to their own country, and they, you know, there is this kind of implication. I don't have a good answer by celebrities. Why celebrities? I mean, celebrities are people too and unfortunately they get sucked into it. If you're referring to Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, it's very disturbing because I've always been a huge Floyd lover and I I can't really listen to the music anymore. It's too disturbing. Um, But there's just been an extraordinarily um, unfair critique of Israel's very complicated situation. Nobody ever said it was a problem. You've heard this a million times, Alan, uh, to critique Uh, In Israeli policy, that's the greatness of the democracy of the state of Israel, the only one in the region that can do that, that you can actually say what you feel and not have your head taken off. Um, But it's completely unfair. And I believe a veiled expression of um, anti-Semitism that Israel can have no response to terrorism, that Israel is not permitted to do what any other normal country in the world is permitted to do to defend themselves from aggression from without and from within. And, um, uh, and, and in my opinion, BDS and some of the other uh, kinds of um, programs that other uh, celebrities and others are uh, calling upon to isolate Israel, uh, to me are really a form of anti-Semitism. And just because someone is rich and beautiful and famous doesn't mean they're not as ignorant as to what's really going on, or they do not have the ability, as I've talked about before, to have some nuance and to understand it's a complex situation. Israel is doing the best that it can, uh, and it, in my opinion is an extraordinarily moral force, uh, given the circumstances to which it's been dealt. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot of ignorance out there, unfortunately, and they get sucked into a certain narrative There is a very popular narrative that says today that if you're the victim, you must be correct. Judaism never believed that. Just because someone was the victim doesn't necessarily mean that their position is correct. And, well, I shouldn't say victim. No, no, let me change that. Just because someone is the underdog does not mean that they are correct. Just because someone is not as powerful doesn't mean that their policies, their ideology, and their strategy is a correct and and just one. Um, And I think that might be another reason why some celebrities um, end up scapegoating Jews or or make some nasty comments and statements or support some really, what I believe, anti-Semitic policies against the state of Israel. Um, I think there is this, you know, underdog is like synonymous with moral uprightness, and whoever happens to be more powerful must be wrong unfortunately power in history has been associated with a lot of unjust behavior but there are times when people have power and are in the moral right i look at the state of israel and i'll end with this um, it's a great um quote whether you like the prime minister of the state of israel or not benjamin netanyahu he said this on the bill maher show years ago and uh, he was asked a similar question. And he said that the world has not quite yet gotten used to the Jew with power. As long as the Jew is the victim, and as long as the Jew um, is not in the position of power, we're okay. Not with everyone, by the way, uh, because we've seen that. But for over 2,000 years, we've been powerlessness, without a land, without a government, without an army. And people in our uh, you know, Western world today can handle that and will respect a people without power. But once that nation gets power, depending of course how we use the power, that makes all the difference. But just because you have it, doesn't mean you're by necessity abusing it. And um, that's a very, very important, um, I think, distinction that a lot of our world is not quite getting. It's not the power that's a problem. There's nothing inherently wrong with power, just like there's nothing inherently wrong with self-defense, with being strong. That's actually a Jewish concept, to be strong, just not to, God forbid, to become arrogant or to use that power or that strength in an unjustifiable way. I don't think Israel does that. I think Israel's got power, Baruch Hashem, thank God, and Israel needs to continue to do that. The Jewish people, if you study Tanakh. Jews have had power. The question is, how do we use it? That's the most really important thing. Um, okay. Um, blameless responsibility, taking a self-inventory without harsh judgment. Thank you, Chani. And that's an interesting, very good comment. Becca, thank you for your comments. And Jeff, why did Hashem allow us to take that position in the stock at that time? Okay, we're going to continue this, actually, maybe into our discussion tomorrow. Listen, interesting issues that our Parsha brings up. Join us tomorrow at Lunch and Learn. And um, and uh, have a great day. This was a really a great conversation. I thank you all for participating. Sorry we got off to a little of a later start. And uh, stay strong and stay healthy. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting on the roof in a socially safe kind of way. But we're getting back together, guys. Take care.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org. Or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.